I come from a family of athletes and sports fanatics. <laughs> and I'm actually really, really sad that March Madness is over. <laughs> and I think of, of fans, sports fans in our culture and the way they dress, right? They dress with their favorite team's colors and they're there and they're cheering and often they're waving things. And as we look at the, at the Psalms of Praise, I'm reminded that we're supposed to be God's super fans, you know, proclaiming him, you know, saying we're on his team, we're cheering him on all the time. And as we look at the Psalms of Praise tonight, I want to encourage you to remember the structure of the whole book of Psalms. Remember how it's divided into five different books. And the first three contain lots of laments. But as you progress through, there's this crescendo of praise at the end, especially chapters 146 to 50, the last five Psalms. And so when you look at that structure, it's as if we're being reminded that the more we get to know the Lord, then the more our praises of him will be flowing out of our hearts and our lives. And what, how else could, can we respond as we get to know who he is, but with adoration and wonder and awe and praise? And as we look at the Psalms of Praise, they're easy to discover. You know why? Because they have lots of exclamation points in them, <laughs> right? And, and I think we know that these Psalms were used in worship, in community. They were, they were sung with instruments, right? There were notes in many of them that instruments were, were to be used with them um, to bring these, the, these joyful noises to the Lord. And so I think even when they're read, if we're not singing them, but we're reading them, they should be almost shouted, right? Proclaimed. Use those exclamation points. I love Walter Brueggemann's description of the hymn of praise. I've got it included there in your notes. He says, the hymn is a liturgical and unrestrained yielding of self and community to God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've got my Christian music on in the car and I'm singing. Right? If anybody saw me as they're driving by, they would laugh, right? But isn't it wonderful to be reminded? And didn't you experience it just this last Sunday in worship, right? On Easter Sunday, how what a gift it is to gather as God's people and to sing together, to say who he is, what he's done, what he's like. And how, doesn't that buoy us? What a gift that is, that we can gather in, in community. And I love this idea of being completely unrestrained when we're offering praise to God. And I think there are many other countries around the world where there, they, they, maybe we need to take note from them, <laughs> right? I find that um, some of my most favorite times of worship have been at Royal Family Kids Camp because when we're singing with the kids, we do motions to the songs. And I find that when my body is included in the worship, it just sometimes I'm just completely overwhelmed by who God is and, and that, that experience of praising him. So when we look at 
the structure of a typical praise psalm. They usually have three parts. They begin with this invitation to praise. Sometimes in the longer psalms of praise, that invitation to praise will be interspersed throughout. It might come in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. Then they, there's always a, a reason for praise in the middle, right? Saying who God is and what he's done. Um, sometimes it's the way he works in creation, what he's done throughout salvation history, or maybe it, what, it's what he's done in the personal, personal life of a psalmist. And then there's always this, this conclusion, this prayer, or this concluding praise at the end. I've given you a few examples of psalms of, of praise that you can look at on your own. I will let you know that in your extra lessons that you have, there's an amazing lesson on Psalm 95 and Psalm 100 that um, fall into this category. And I am not tonight really addressing psalms of thanksgiving. They're very similar to a psalm of praise. Usually a psalm of thanksgiving will will include kind of a difficult situation and a time where God has intervened in a specific way and and then there's reason for thanksgiving. So we're just looking at the psalms of praise tonight. And in particular, I'm wanting to look at Psalm 113. So if you want to open your Bibles... I'm going to go ahead and read through Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down, on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. If you look at the whole structure of this psalm, we can note quite a few things. In the first three verses, we see the word name is used in each of those verses. And we know that in, ancient, in this ancient world, in the Near Eastern world, names were very significant. They weren't names like we just, we pick a favorite name and give it to a child. But <laughs> names reflected character the nature of a person. They were very significant. So when we speak of his name, it's speaking of all that he is. And we have to see, too, that this invitation to praise, praise the Lord, is in verse 1, and it's in the last verse, too. It concludes with praise the Lord. So that's an inclusio, okay? A beginning and an ending. Um, it frames the whole psalm. And then... In the first five verses, we find the Lord is used in every single verse. And I think in the first verse, even more than once, that covenant name, personal name, Yahweh. And as I've mentioned before, in this time, all the other cultures in the world were worshiping many gods with a small g. Walter Brueggemann calls them no gods, right? We find them in the Psalms often called worthless idols, right? They can't see or speak or hear, right? Um, and so the use of their, the name of their covenant God is so 
significant. He is the creator of all and the one who has revealed himself to them and said, I will be your God and you are going to be my people and I'm going to bless you and through you the whole world will be blessed. And then right in the middle of the psalm, we find this key point, this poignant question, who is like our God? And then after the question is asked, the word name is not given again and the Yahweh, the Lord, is not given again, but what we find in the, in the second half of the psalm is all these verbs that describe how God acts, his activities. And all of the verbs are used in the, in the causative form, revealing that the Lord, Yahweh, is the one who makes things happen. The Lord makes high in order to sit. He makes low in order to see. He makes exalted the needy. He makes the needy to dwell. He is a God that is working. He's making things happen. We see this imagery, the contrast of the high and the low, that he's high above all nations. He's seated on high, but he makes himself low to look upon the heaven and the earth and to raise the poor and lift them to places of honor. We also see the repetition of this word exalted, right? He's the exalted one, the, lift, the one who's lifted up. And then he exalts the poor and the needy and the barren woman. And then this other word that in some verses it says to sit, but in, in, in others it's to dwell, but it's the same root word. So... He is the one who dwells or is seated on high, but he makes the needy dwell or sit with princes. And he is the one who makes the barren woman to dwell in a home. I should also mention, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, that this is included in, in Psalm 113 through 118 are called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. So this psalm in Psalm 114 would have been sung before the Passover meal. And then the others would have been sung song after the Passover meal. So the, those, all these, they're grouped together, and, and that's how they were used by God's people. Okay, if you look at verses 1 to 3, we see this beautiful, sweeping um, call to praise. Praise, O servants of the Lord. And then in verse 2, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He's to be praised when? Now and forever, all the time, every moment. His praise is to be unending. In Psalm 103, one of the most beloved psalms of all that you studied this week, you saw David saying that he seeks to bless the Lord continually with all that he is. And this is the appropriate response to the Lord whose steadfast love is so big that it fills the skies. And it goes from everlasting to everlasting. So, of course, he is unending. All that's flowing out of who he is is unending. So our praise and response to him is to be unending. And I think I've given you quite a few of my favorite songs at the back of your notes. And one of them is a song by Chris Rice. And a line from it goes like this. And your praise goes on, rising to your throne. And how it's, our praises are to be filling 
<laughs> and be, be continually rising up to him. Our praise of the Lord is to be a song that never ends. We're to be joining in that chorus that's happening around the, th the heavenly throne all the time. Now, I have a, a sweet, sweet mother-in-law who is a beach lover, just like me. She loves to walk the beach. And where she often winters in, in Naples, Florida, she loves to go for sunset. And not only because what else is more beautiful, seeing the, the sunset over the water, right? But she has found where she goes that people take notice. Everybody stops and watches this taking place, and then they actually clap. <laughs> a, you know, give applause to God for his mighty work. <laughs> and that's the, the sign language for praise, clapping like that. And I think what a, she's found a neat group of people <laughs> to be watching the sunset with. And we find in this verse... From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We have such a small picture, right? We, it looks, oh, this, we say the sun's going down, right? But there's a much bigger picture, right? There are people that are watching the sun rise and set all over the globe. So every single person, all of creation is to be joining in this praise. Wherever, whoever they are, wherever they live, we're to be applauding, <laughs> the Lord. And so the psalm is giving this beautiful vision of the Lord lifted on high and everyone joining around his throne, all of creation joining in to praise him. And, and in verses four to six, we do, we see him enthroned on high. He is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. It's as if he fills all of creation, and so our praise is to fill all of creation. I've given you a few extra verses there that you can look, look at that talk about how he's exalted above all gods, above all peoples. And this great question, who is like our God who is seated on high? There is no one or thing that's above him. There's no one that sits beside him. Everyone and everything is below him. He is high over all, above all, seated on high. The doxology that I sung on Sunday mornings in church when I was growing up, I think, gets it right. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Right? He alone is uncreated and is enthroned over all that he has made. He alone is other and holy. And I, I can't really comprehend this, but he looks far down on the heavens and the earth. It's beyond, it's mind-blowing. And yet, this one who is high and lifted up, we find in verses 7 to 9, lifts up the lowly. He comes down to be with the poor man who cannot provide for his family and the barren woman who cannot have a family. He's high and lifted up, yet he stoops down, the New Living Translation says. I love that. He lowers himself to be close to the lowly, to the hurting. He has special concern for the vulnerable, for those that often others in this world would overlook, for those that are crushed by the powerful, who are powerless in our world. 
He lowers himself and comes alongside and acts on their behalf. He lifts them up to a place of honor. So he is both transcendent and imminent. He is high and lifted up, yet he's so very near to all of his creation. This is just one of the many reasons why there is no God like him. <laughs> I love this example that is included here about him providing a barren woman with children. Such a sweet, sweet picture. And the people of Israel, God's people, knew their history well. They would think of names right from the start, wouldn't they? <laughs> Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca. And I've given you in your notes a few other examples. Hannah. There are some verses in Hannah's song that she sang um, about having her son Samuel that are very similar to the verses, some verses in this psalm. And then, of course, we move forward in, in salvation history to Mary, who was not barren, but she was a virgin. And, and she sang a song as well when she found out that she would get to be the mother of, of the Christ. And there are some similarities in that song. You can feel free to look that up on your own, in your own time. Walter Brueggemann says this, The one who sits enthroned in splendor is peculiarly allied with the brokenhearted who cannot help themselves. And Derek Kidner puts it this way, God's glory is equally at home, high above the heavens, and at the side of one forlorn person. So how is God revealed through Psalm 113? He is the Lord who is like no other, who is worthy of continual praise, right? It begins and ends with that call to praise the Lord. And he is the Lord who is sovereign over all. He reigns over all his creation, but he is ever near. He sees and stoops down to care for the needy. It's as if there's this river of compassion that's just flowing from his throne. And I love that he's a God who intervenes, who flips things upside down. <laughs> In his kingdom, the lowly are lifted up. And just as Jesus would later proclaim them, we're the last, our first. And he modeled in the way that he lived that the the vulnerable, vulnerable ones in our world were valuable to him. And he exalted the humble. And as we sang on Easter Sunday, right, we cannot help but see how Jesus just embodied these qualities. He left the glories of heaven to become part of his creation. He lowered himself lived among the poor as a servant, cared for the outcasts, and then was willing to go to the cross, submitted himself to that cruel criminal's death. Because he loved us so, he took our sin and shame as his own so that we could become children of God, part of God's royal family. He stooped down, he lowered himself to lift up any who believe in him to heaven's glories. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's no other way to respond. A few questions here. Are we trusting in the Lord who is both sovereign and near or sovereign and compassionate? And how, I think the psalm just begs the question, how are we joining in the Lord's work of seeing and lifting up the lowly? 
as I've been preparing for this teaching. I'll be honest with you. I think I'm better at lamenting. <laughs> I, I need to grow in this area of, you know, having a heart and a mouth that's overflowing with praise. But I, I've been talking to the Lord about it. Well, am I just supposed to walk around all the time saying, praise the Lord? You know, I, what, what does it really look like to have a life of praise? I get it. I get it that on Sundays... <laughs> I'm there, and I want to be with God's people. I know I need it to be proclaiming who you are and what you've done and praising you together. But what about all the other days of the week, right? What does a life of praise look like? And so I've, I'm going to take us on just a quick sweeping through just some of these psalms of praise and a few verses that I've kind of broken my own rules of teaching that I've plucked out for you, but they're on this theme of praise and, and giving us pictures of what it looks like to praise him. And I think of how I've heard it described from, um, from the pulpit many a time here at church that Praise is part of worship, and worship is giving all that you are to all that God is. And we look at Psalm 96.9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And then if you look at the word praise, and these psalms continually call us to simply praise the Lord, that word literally means to shine. And so we're to shine the light on. God. We're to boast about him. We're to celebrate him. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 146.1 begins, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And then Psalm 150, verse 6, the very last verse in the whole book of Psalms, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then we all know Psalm 100, a very familiar and loved psalm. We're, we're told to sing, to make a joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness. <laughs> make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And as I mentioned before, there are many psalms that include the joyful noises to include instrumentation, right, as well. It's not just singing. And then, as you saw in, in Psalm 103 that we looked at this week, this idea that we're to bless the Lord. One of the gals in my small group said yesterday, it hit me this week. We talk about how God blesses us. You know, he's, he's a fountain of blessing to us. But I was challenged to think that I can bless him. And that word bless, it literally means to kneel. It's, it's envisioning an act of adoration. Psalm 100, verse 4, give thanks to him, bless his name. Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, adore his holy name. Psalm 95, verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Then we're called, actually called to physically bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. There's something, I think, that happens when we actually get on our knees before him, right? It's this picture of this surrendering to him, lifting him up. 
And then we're called to give him glory. Psalm 96, verses 7 and 8. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Think of bringing an offering as an offering of thanksgiving. And then this other word I found, extol, which means to lift up, to sing the praises of. Psalm 145, verse 1. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. And then we find in Psalm 96, verses 11 to 13, and also in Psalm 148, this idea that all of creation, not just humans that can speak it, but that all of creation is actively praising the Lord and that we're to join in. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. What a beautiful image that is before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors, looks at Psalm 148, which you're welcome to look through on your own later on, that talks about how all of creation is in this act of praising God. And he notes that their praise is not, that it's not words. They're not saying anything, right? The trees can't actually talk. <laughs> the animals can't actually talk. Um, but he says their praise is something that at their truest they are. That's what I want. I long for that. There's a group called Watermark. One of their songs is called Gloria. Here are a few lines from it. I wish I could crash like the waves. I wish I could turn like the autumn leaves, you know, the most beautiful, even when they turn colors, in an effort to praise you. <laughs> I wish I could smell like the forest, their fragrance lifting a mighty chorus in an effort to praise you. But because we are human and we have minds and we have mouths and we can speak, I think that's, that's also part of it. It's not just singing together, but our mouths declaring who he is. Psalm 145, verses 4 to 7. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. When we're thinking about it, then it's going to be coming out of our mouths, right? They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. I love that. What a beautiful picture. And shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This reminds me of a line in the hymn, Come Thou Fount. God's streams of mercy never ceasing call for song, sounds of our loudest praise. So we are to join in creation, we're to join as God's people in giving the Lord glory and honor and praise and adoration. And it's joyful praise that's supposed to be coming out of our mouths. This is what we were made for. <laughs> and it's not just about worshiping on Sunday mornings, but I think it's supposed to be flowing out of our hearts and our lives, this offering of praise. Another song by Watermark called The Grateful People. A few lines. 
It's time that we give you honor. This is the day to give you all the praise that you deserve. Your mercy turns us into grateful people. I'm paraphrasing here, but when our words fall short, may our lives be enough. <laughs> and then one other thing, I'm jumping ahead to the New Testament here. But I ha had to, to note in Ephesians 5, this beautiful chapter where Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus to walk in love. He includes these thoughts that he's calling them to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the line that gets me is making melody to the Lord with your heart. Is my heart singing as I'm going about my days, singing praises to him. One of my dear friends from college, her husband passed away a few weeks ago. Her husband was a pastor and ha had more friends than seems possible for one human being to have. And the impact of his life, as was witnessed at his funeral, was just unbelievable. He had such a zest for life. He really lived with the joy of the Lord. And many of his friends who shared about him shared the phrases that he often said. Wow! <laughs> it's so glorious! you got to come see this! It's as if he saw God in everything and in everyone. And so as I've been talking to the Lord about this, what does this look like? I think, oh, my friend Paul, he was on the right track on the right track. A few questions to close. How are you, are you adoring the Lord and making melody in your heart to him? How can your whole life be an offering of joyful praise to the Lord? And how are you joining with all of creation in praising him? And the only way I can end with is with hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Have a good evening, ladies.